When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thanks for joining me for another Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Really appreciate all of you joining us. My next guest has created a think tank that designs disaster-proof human environments using biomimicry and low-cost, high-yield protocols. Uh, she's a frequent speaker at global events and topics ranging from redesigning to rewilding the built environments to the future of psychedelics to the role of permaculture in preventing natural disasters. What got our guest's attention to grassroots marketing is because she wrote and talked about the future of cannabis cultivation, getting sustainable or going up in smoke. And with me right now is the founder of New Climate Culture, Eloisa Lewis. Eloisa, thanks for being on. Thanks so much, Pastor. Uh, my pleasure. So I'm curious about what you say. You make the mention there are impl- environmental implications to cannabis cultivation from water demands and the billions of liters related to indoor grows to farming and public on on public and tribal lands endangering aquatic and life, wildlife with ozone implications. Now, we talked to a number of companies, especially in California, say in Arizona, that or in Florida, where they've done a lot of things where various methods of cultivation, aquaponics, or just what was what water is being used to irrigate. I think of one company that uses Mount Shasta and the snow melt to irrigate their flower, their plants, things like that, and and various other companies that do not want to use organic anything that's pesticides, anything that's just in there besides what control boards cannabis control boards will say you can't have any pesticides there's a lot of policing over that as well so this call to action talk to me about what you're telling about creating climate smart low cost high yield alternatives for cannabis cultivation sure so basically you know the cannabis industry just like any industry is full of people who have different needs and beliefs about how um, any given crop should be cultivated. And I think that we're in this moment historically where we have access to a huge array of options of how we cultivate the crop and um, and how we process it, how we distribute it. And um, I'm someone who's a corporate climate consultant. So that means I'm looking at an entire business enterprise um, and really auditing to make sure that we don't have 
mistakes and, and unnecessary impacts where we can eliminate them. So usually that is where we're cutting out the most costs is by creating higher efficiency and also just literally eliminating costs that might be directly impacting the environment in a, in a negative manner. Um, because these things are available. I mean, people make their business every day off of toxic solutions or toxic products and sell them as if they're not. So that's what my expertise is really about is getting into a corporation or an enterprise and being the person who is able to help educate so that um, business owners can and farmers can make better decisions about their supply chain. Um, so that looks like you know, this is a this is a detailed process and project and we start by looking at things like, yeah, where are you sourcing your water from? Because harvesting rainwater is going to be the most um, sustainable thing to do. And then making sure that you're putting that rainwater back into the ground is again, the optimal system. Cause I'm, I'm someone who's interested in optimizing sustainability. I don't want to just do it uh, 50% of the way or 80% of the way. My expertise as a world-class consultant is to look at a hundred percent of the system and uh, make sure that there aren't any problems in any part of it according to what current technology we have available to us today. So um, this might sound uh, upsetting or jarring for some people who are currently invested in bad practices or old practices, but that's simply because we're at the nexus of a change in industry and kind of an industrial revolution that's recognizing what sustainability is and um, cutting out the greenwashing from that, from that, those pop culture practices that are, are being utilized. So, um, right. So, oh, um, so well, just a couple of things yeah. real quick, just to unpack. Please. So for examples of those that are practicing the best possible cannabis sustainability in the current environment we have, I'm taking a story from modern farmer where they're talking to someone that is a farmer that has an off grid biodynamic cannabis farm. And, what he did to put sustainability into the facet of the company was powering the greenhouse with on-site solar panels, natural pest control instead of synthetics. Products are sold in recyclable, 99% free, plastic-free packaging. But on top of that, there has been there are there are people that can do what they can do on their own to foster sustainability. But there's also been a lack of research on sustainability because of the federal legal acts uh, status. So there's an array of environmental impacts, and you mentioned one of those being water. And within the same greenhouse, cannabis is water intensive. You made that point very clear. And each plant requires between five and six gallons of water per day, twice of that of other commodity crops. And irrigated agriculture in California already accounts for 70 to 80% of all water consumption. In a market that they don't have that much water to work with anyway, they have issues with restrictions. They don't have that much rainfall. You know, there's there's issues with that where because of the environment that they're given, it's very arid, not very, not a lot of moisture. What do you say to those that are considering the climates you're in and what they're able to go and do to foster sustainability and their growth? Well, when it comes to water, again, um, the most important thing actually is growing outdoors. So not only are we collecting the rainwater, which is only step one of a system because all systems are circular. So that means they have a life cycle. They have many steps 
in them. So, okay. Sourcing your water from a sustainable, uh, again, source is important, but then where you're putting the water is doubly important. So growing outdoors allows us to refill our aquifers and refill our groundwater, replenish our groundwater, which will increase biodiversity in our region. And that is what is going to draw more water into the region because trees, um, create rain, not the other way around. So when you have more plants and more greenery in your ecosystem, in your bioregion that you're cultivating, and you're literally trees, cannabis trees, um, outdoors are going to, through the process of physics, call water into that region and create a cooler microclimate. So this is really uh, about restoring our relationship with nature. And, you know, like you said, maybe an off-grid farmer outdoors is contributing to that because they're able to restore that relationship with the plant and, uh, and the ecosystem so that you're going to do that very thing. You're going to, sequ- you're going to sequester carbon back into the soil at the highest degree of efficiency. Cause you're not going to be able to do that in an indoor grow operation. You're not going to be sequestering carbon, uh, by the scale that we need to for this planet indoors. And, um, that's simply because the technology for that is in the soil and you're not going to be able to, to have, you know, it's just by nature of being indoors or aquaponic or anything like that, you are reducing the system instead of enhancing it. Um, so, I know that uh, recently I I was interviewed by a group called Boulder Weekly about this, and I'm pulling up the report in front of me now because it's an interesting statistic. Um, Yeah, cannabis requires more water than any other commodity crop is what they found in Colorado. And so for that reason, we should be concerned, again, where is the water going and how is it recycling? Because if it's going down the drain and back to the municipality where you're buying it from usually, so you're buying the water from the city that's mismanaging the water, and then you're returning it to the city that's mismanaging the water instead of returning the soil, sorry, returning the water into the soil and the soil and the earth and the groundwater, the aquifers beneath our feet, that's the safest place for the ecosystem and for humans to place the water after it's been used for irrigation. Um, of oh. course, wetter soils are also going to prevent against wildfires and other natural disasters. Now, what about the option of where, and the same farmer, I'm thinking of another story, what they did was built out two wells drawing from an underground wa- aquifer. Is that an option that a lot of places like these that are outsourcing too much water, if they were able to go ahead and build wells to draw from? If you're going to replenish the wells, yes, but part of the huge agricultural failure of California is farmers digging wells and then mis- then basically again mismanaging the water. The water is running off and not replenishing the ground the ground directly beneath their feet because they're not managing the soil correctly. So it's it's really not the solutions are maybe not as simple as people would like them to be because it's again it's about a life cycle and a whole system design. So I can't say um, without looking at the site and talking to the specific farmers, oh yeah, it's fine to just, you know, make a well and get the water from beneath your feet. It's much more sustainable in every single case. What I can say is collecting the rainwater from the sky instead of digging into the ground, that is going to be safer 10 out of 10 times. So if you're looking for something that applies to everyone, it's rainwater. If you're looking for something that applies to some people, it's going to be wells. Now, 
among the alternatives we've already talked about, growing outdoors instead of indoors, harvesting rainwater for cultivation and extraction, inducing, reducing impact on groundwater supply. The other thing you brought up here is polyculturalizing. Local soils with allies like fungi, radish, strawberry, chickens, rabbits, fruit trees, as a few examples. And farming sustainably, the ecosystem around these industries would thrive with renewable resources, a detox environment, and food forest abundance for biodiversity. So you're talking about building other having other grows around the plants, not anything like a rotation of plants where some agri- yeah. some farmers will just take the crops and for whatever season it is, they'll rotate the crops with something else they're going to grow. Well, yeah, we found um, through research and specifically the research that I'm quoting here is with the group Jadam and KNF out of Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, they have proven that tilling the soil is le- less effective and ineffective, again, for sequestering carbon, creating the most resilient genetics and highest quality soils. The higher quality the soil, that's why we need the polyculture, because the polyculture is going to create a more biodiverse, rich soil, including, you know, what decomposes in a cover crop. So a cover crop is different than a crop rotation. Um, So when we're enhancing the soil, that is what's going to sequester the most carbon, but also create the most um, pesticide resistant. There's natural ways to create resistance to pesticide, again, through just creating a, a highly living immune probiotic, immune boosting probiotic soil. A soil is a living thing that needs to eat itself. So that's what we're doing when we're creating a polyculture. We're creating food for the soil, um, just like you don't want to necessarily eat one thing for the rest of your life. You don't want to just eat eggs for the rest of your life. You want to eat eggs and vegetable and meat and uh, grains and different. You want to have a diverse diet so you can absorb all these different nutrients since all the different nutrients and minerals are going to function um, and provide different to provide different functional aspects for your organs. It's like the same thing with the soil. We need to create a super probiotic functional soil in order to enhance our medicine being the cannabis or our material being the, the hemp cannabis. And, uh, and um, we're good in terms of cutting costs. So you can create, you're going to cut costs because long-term you're not going to have to buy fertilizer anymore because your, your system's going to fertilize itself very quickly. Um, and then your pesticides are also going to be able to be sourced and created locally using these Jadam and KNF techniques. And um, you're not going to have to order fertil- uh, fertilizers or pesticides off of Amazon or whatever website anymore. And they're not going to transport reducing releasing more carbon into the atmosphere as they transport because you're going to be able to go to your home depot get some buckets from the home depot and start mixing your own cultures from very simple ingredients that you can source locally and then of course you can create an income stream because you can sell that stuff to local farmers across any farming industry so if you're making local indigenous excuse me um fertilizer and pesticide organic pesticide then now you've just created a micro business alongside your cannabis business where you can supply that to people growing lettuce or mangoes or what have you, according to your region, uh, immediately, or even just local gardeners. Now you're a supply for anyone who has a local permaculture garden or backyard garden or community garden, and they can come and learn how to make that stuff from you in a workshop, or they can buy it directly from you if you have the capacity to produce it for, you know, beyond just your own farm. 
And that's really, again, how we're going to connect and cause a shift across the agricultural industry. Really, an, an agricultural revolution relies on people in their own bioregion taking up these new techniques and then sharing it with the immediate community as much as possible. Now, one of the other points you made that really caught my eye was talking about using glass packaging, fungi-based, fungi-based or plant-based compostable packaging instead of anything plastic. So talk to me about the advantages there about trying to go and go for something much more compostable, recyclable. Talk to me about that. Um, yeah, we're just looking again. Everything has a life cycle. And so we want things to um, transform quickly back into the environment in a non-toxic manner. Uh, I, plastic, we know, releases toxins into our soil, which then in turn will absorb into the crops that we're consuming and wearing and using as materials, whether that's as insulation in our house or clothing on our bodies or vegetables in our garden. So in order to remediate all the toxic uh, chemicals that we've combined and created and dispersed across the planet, we have to stop sourcing them because as long as we're sourcing plastic, producers will continue to make it because that's the nature of capitalism where there's demand there's supply so that's the problem is that like you know we're still we're, we're addicted to plastic and um we need to transition away from it again we've used it it's been useful and now we need to outgrow it because it's we've found it's obsolete um and again toxic so really there's all these other micro businesses like maybe if you do have a cannabis business and you have the ability to create a mushroom business on the side, then you could create can of uh, you could create um, can of containers with your mushroom business, and you're already in the cannabis industry, and so you can uh, scale that company right up and start serving the cannabis community with sterile and um, you know whatever requirement government requirements necessary child proof containers. Um, growing mycelium or growing algae or growing or using glass again because right. glass and and recycled metals. Um, so all of these things are for the purpose of when that object decays, because it's going to end up somewhere someday, whether that's in a landfill or underneath mm -hmm. your house or wherever it ends up or in the ocean, um, it's going to decay and decompose and become it's going to transform. And we need to make the least toxic mode for these containers and these packaging in the distribution of our agricultural goods for the purpose of um, when I receive, you know, every day I go to the grocery store, I go to the, the, I'm here in Quebec, we have this place called SQDC, that's where you buy cannabis, the government owns mm -hmm. the, the cannabis industry. So you go to a, a government owned shop and you buy cannabis there. And when right. I go, uh, it's going to come in a plastic container. So they do have a recycling program, but regardless, it's a toxic plastic is toxic at every stage of extraction to recycling. There's just no way around it. You're going to be releasing well, toxins into the air or water. Or well, that was one of the issues with in the government when they had uh, Health Canada and the, and the control board there about the issues where the limitations of packaging, branding, they were set to a certain list of standards that they had to go and use. And that part of it was the plastic. There wasn't much wiggle room around it. Exactly. I mean, if if our governments are demanding us to use plastic, then our governments are demanding us to poison ourselves. So right. that's really the problem. Like if, if, the, if somebody claims, whether that's a government, a corporation or uh, your neighbor, if somebody is claiming 
oh, the only only way we can possibly do this this medicine or this product or whatever is via plastic. I simply believe that's a lack of imagination and that's a lie. Right. Um, it's just, it, it doesn't make any sense that the only solution to our problems would be, uh, would involve ta- poisoning ourselves. Now, Eloisa, that's one of the things that whenever we get federal legalization here, hopefully as just oversight and nothing more in the U.S., three to five years down the line. Other states might uh, have not been given too much issues and guidance on that. From I mean, I haven't really checked too much about sustainability standards when it comes mm-hmm. to what states ask for. Everything's been more about social equity, more about you know just finding uh, getting startups to get up off the ground more than there is the compliance issues when it comes to cultivation. Right. I'm always a proponent when it comes to compliance that you know a lot of people have been talking and carrying the flag for good manufacturing practices which is standard amongst among other major sectors consumer packaged goods and the like which i agree is the this this course of action might be the most paperwork might be the most thing to be done but that's where i would go when it comes to compliance now the government being able to intervene and say oh we're gonna use plastic now let's talk about the corporations because there's a story from Canatech today I took about this where they said, well, when it comes to sustainability, to meet the rising man, uh, the rising demand of sustainability, efficient cultivation methods are crucial. And they're talking about automation or AI powered monitoring systems, hydroponic setups and precision nutrient delivery, all essential components of these innovative systems. So hmm. throw AI as a solution. What do you think? I think that I the first thing that comes to mind is who does that benefit? Because it seems like that's going to benefit the people who are selling the equipment for the aquaponics, the AI, the most. And so that is my concern is that, uh, first of all, AI and um, software technology, internet technology, all everything that relies on basically modern computing is also super energy and water intensive. So I think that these industries are invested in their own life and their own longevity, and they will say almost anything to protect themselves and their, their um, supremacy in the marketplace. So for me, uh, I definitely know that the lowest cost and the highest yield and the best thing for the genetics is to go back to a simpler mode where you have lower maintenance systems. If it's a high maintenance system requiring tons of electricity, tons of water, tons of equipment, mm-hmm. that equipment eventually breaks down over time. And what you're going to go buy again, more from the same suppliers. And so that's what their industry is built around is around obsolescence. So the most sustainable practices, I mean, we look at groups growing outdoor cannabis across ancient civilizations and the Middle East and India and Africa. And um, they're the ones who have been preserving the genetics and enhancing the genetics for the longest. The people who have been working with the most resilient plants and um, some of the most potent medicines, and they have never needed to rely on AI or aquaponics or anything like that. So I think that's part of a narrative that's really dangerous and misleading. Whatever they can do to get rid of the human component. And, and by the way, Hollywood right now, as we record, is still in the middle of an actors and writers strike where AI is one of the major culprits right now that's going to hamper their industry for the future. Same thing can be happening here in this industry as well. So the website for you is newclimateculture.com. And for those who go to the website, uh, give a little bit of background, if you can, on what you provide in terms of consulting and, and other I- issues and what people can do to get involved. 
Absolutely. So um, I do want to mention that I am working on policy with different uh, groups that are uh, working out of DC and, and across the country with psychedelic medicines. So we mm -hmm. are working to, to do that. And uh, I'm partnered with a USDA certified uh, hemp grower. So we we're really, we're really paying attention to what these compliances are mean and, and improving them. And then um, beyond that, when you work with my company, so I can provide educational and speaking services for your community, um, all the way to auditing and design consulting so that we can really roll up our sleeves and get into the details of what can be enhanced in your business to reduce costs and redirect your investments into safer securities for the planet. Um, and we have, so we have really a sliding scale of a very low cost options for people who just need, uh, who kind of people who might not have the resources, but they have the, the commitment. So I can give them the educational tools and set them off in the right direction so that they can work with their own community to do the most possible with the, the least, uh, amount of information and amount of help all the way to, you know, I'm here, I'm ready to project manage land. I would love to meet some investors who want to start up projects with me and my team. Cause like I said, we're ready to go. I don't have the capital at this moment to buy land and start up farms and, and create plastic alternatives for the Canna community, but I would know how to do it. So we're, we're looking for help and we're looking for clients in every spectrum, whether it's just truly educational and speaking and, or even uh, a, con a remote consulting for a daily fee um, all the way to, <laughs> trying to share proposals with investors right now live, you know, we're seeking investors on, on LinkedIn and through these uh, media outreaches to find who our partners are going to be so that we can make these shifts. Cause I'm, I'm very serious about it. This is what my life is devoted to. It's what my passion hobby is. And especially in the cannabis industry, because we have so much potential to shift culture in not only the agricultural community, but in the consumer community in general and, and the culture and the culture of the United States and the culture of our different regions, because um, this is cannabis is not just a medicinal psychoactive or um, healing plant for the body, but it's a healing plant for the environment, as I said, um, because it's going to help be increased biodiversity when it's farmed outdoors correctly and it's also going to remediate the the air the soil and the water and furthermore it's a sustainable resource material for clothing for any any cloth any any type of cloth like a, a rug or a furniture or a clothing anything that requires uh, a natural sustainable material like that can be can be cultivated with hemp as well as uh, it's a food, you know, we all know how healthy that, that hemp seeds and hemp is to eat. And it's also a material for industrial material for rope and mm -hmm. for packaging and for so much else that we can have domestically so that we're not, uh, yeah, just continuing to extract and continue on with these cycles that really just poison ourselves. It's really just kind of suicidal tendencies that we have in, in the current marketplace. And it's because those suicidal tendencies are cheap and sell well, and they're dominant in the cultural narrative. But rewriting the cultural narrative will require an investment, especially if people believe in uh, industry and capitalism, and they want that to succeed and thrive, then what we have to do is redirect our investments. And I don't think that 
Uh, it's difficult. And I do think I, I'm here, people, planet, profit. So profit is the goal. Uh, like I said, it's going to cut costs. It's going to be the best thing for the environment. And long term, you will outperform your competitors across every medium and uh, measure. And so there's just nothing better than providing your clients with something that actually you can stand behind um, and say with certainty, this is the best thing that's going on uh, in the market. And it's it's scientifically proven and it's it's simple. It's almost common sense once you really test the, you can do very simple tests on the soil and the water and the air and you see the improvement. Not only that, it's getting hotter and, and dang, it's pretty hot in California and pretty hot in Florida. Right. We need to make sure that we are cooling down our ecosystems. <laughs> and no matter how many Teslas you got, no matter how many solar panels you got, no matter how many wind uh, farms you got, nothing is going to outperform biology itself. Not not a single thing that humans can invent will right. outperform a robust ecosystem. There we go. Well, well said. We're going to leave it there. Uh, uh, Luis Lewis with newclimateculture.com. I really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us and uh, your founder of New Climate Culture, again, newclimateculture.com. Uh, I noticed that one of the events you're going to be speaking at is Disaster Expo Miami coming up next year. And can you, uh, I know you do a lot of us speaking on other engagements, but for those that might want to get a chance to connect with you on the road at a trade show, can you tell us what your current schedule is coming up for the rest of the year? Absolutely. So I do have a, uh, I, I have two events in September right now, and I haven't thought beyond that. Sorry, everyone. It's been a busy year. Um, I have an event here in Canada that's called the Cloud Nine Festival in Ontario. Mm -hmm. So you can catch me at the Cloud Nine Festival. It's a sustainable uh, regenerative farm. It's going to be a beautiful musical event, and I'm going to have a workshop as well as I'll be hosting a whole space there the entire time. So people can come up and Q&A with me. Um, during any time of the festival that they need. And then I'm also going to be at the Oakland Psychedelic Conference, September 16th and 17th in California. And that'll nice. be really exciting. I'm also gonna be workshopping there and we are definitely here to just uh, talk about cannabis and my mushrooms and all the different plants, everything, I, uh, you know, everything associated with the psychedelic community as we make sure that we protect the community, the, the industry and we farm responsibly. We definitely got to talk again sometime about psychedelics. There's a lot we could go into there, but onto a different program that we host here on the network. But anyway, founder and lead designer of New Climate Culture, newclimateculture.com. Eloise Lewis, thank you for being on. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Brasco. Stay tuned. We have more Blunt Business coming up after a short break. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 
Welcome back to Blunt Business. We're speaking with a guest who is with experience of over eight years of experience in emergency medicine, educating the South Florida community on the multiple benefits of cannabis as a medical treatment for chronic pain, mental illness, seizure, and inflammation. And she assists patients in the medical cannabis card application process in Florida. And based in Fort Lauderdale, I'm here with a licensed cannabis and emergency medicine physician who works residency at University Hospital, Davie Campus, near Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and Mount Sinai Medical Center in Miami. I'm here with Dr. Sophia Lynn Lassiter. Thank you for being on, doctor. Thank you for having me. It's a it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. I'm super passionate about my work, so I love sharing my experience and um, pitfalls and learning and education with everyone, so that way we can all move forward together. And the best part as well is that you also, you're never always... A, You've been a medical professional that's been willing to go ahead and educate because I see Absolutely. this very serious when it comes to fitness and nutrition as well. You're also studying in that and getting certification and you decided to get yourself licensed into medical cannabis. That would have been right as the Florida medical cannabis program started. So yeah, talk to me about the transition here and what it's been to work with patients that you realize could really benefit from using cannabis in their, as a part of a regimen? That's a, a great way to put it. So just a little background about the Florida Medical Cannabis Program. Florida itself is a medical cannabis state only, so it's not recreational, meaning you have to have a Florida cannabis license to be able to enter the dispensary. The person who helps you obtain a Florida cannabis license is a certified physician. So I'm an integrative medical cannabis and emergency medicine physician. And my role in the process is to educate patients about the benefits of cannabis um, and also help them get qualified for a medical cannabis card. There's over 14 medical conditions in the state that qualify. Some of the most popular ones are things like chronic pain, HIV AIDS, cancer, seizures, and then you also have PTSD, and several other conditions, but mainly that's my clientele who I, who I end up seeing patients for. And I personally only prescribe for adults, so 18 and older. And the reason why is because for pediatric patients, in order for them to qualify, you have to have a pediatrician in addition to a medical cannabis physician sign their certification. So they need two doctors to authenticate their application as opposed to one who's your caring physician. Um, Real quickly, I want to so, ask you about the patients you've been seeing. Obviously, we have a quite an expansive elderly population here. And yeah. the medical industry is very, well, it's lucrative here. Let's just say like that. I want to just get what your take is. As we mentioned, HCA is a pretty big corporate and that runs and manages a lot of hospitals here in Florida and also around the country. With that said, all that experience, your 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 pedigree and just the education, your background gives you such an integrity and such a reputation that will come before you for people to go ahead and trust your judgment when it comes to cannabis. Why is it as a medical professional, you know, if you had to explain it among your peers, why is it that you can say wholeheartedly without a shadow of a doubt that you feel very confident about what cannabis is able to do for your patients? So my work at Ask Dr. Lin, which is my medical cannabis company that I started in 2017, is completely independent without any contract or obligation with HCA Hospital. My emergency medicine work that I do 
is totally separate from my medical cannabis work. So it's important to, to keep the two entities Agreed. Yeah. distinct because I don't want people to think they can come to HCA hospital and request my services. <laughs> you have to see me in my office in Aventura is the only way to get approved for your medical cannabis card. But um, my ER work, which I love dearly, has been a journey because when I first started uh, in emergency medicine, this was my first job down here in Florida after residency. And they were not very welcoming to the ideal of medical cannabis. It was very new. It was new to South Florida. Um, physicians were never trained or learned in cannabis. Therefore, when they sought information, everything that they found online or in medical textbooks had a negative connotation. Like don't use cannabis. Cannabis is a drug. Cannabis will make you unproductive. Um, it's addictive. Those kind of of concerns regarding cannabis. And it never spoke to the spirituality or the benefit of the plant. Me being from Jamaica and growing up in the West Indies, culturally, we use cannabis in many different delivery methods, whether it was a salt or a tea or a tincture. Those were our first medicines as opposed to pharmaceutical pills. So that's always been our relationship with the plant. So finally being in the United States now and practicing as a physician and a and a medical educator, I had the opportunity and the position in Florida to heal more patients in a more homeopathic, natural way, which people were really yearning for. They were tired of popping more pills. They were tired of the traditional routes for pain treatment or management for their nausea or inflammation. They wanted something more holistic. So that audience finds me. I don't have to advertise. Everything is done by word of mouth. They look for me on social media, search for me on websites. Um, and they're able to locate someone that's willing to listen. So I believe in the plant because I've experienced the plant. That's been my healing as a young person. You know, my grandmother, my mom, they all used cannabis in that fashion. Now having the opportunity to use it in a more structured environment where we have mandatory third-party laboratory testing for cannabis. We have, um, distinct QR codes that show you exactly the percentage of THC, the percentage of CBD, and the components of every single item that you purchase in the state. We are able to track exactly where it's from, when it was packaged. Um, we have much more of a better relationship with the medical benefits of it, the knowledge, the experience, the testimonies. You know, Patients are able to hear from each other what works well for them and hopefully be more open to the concept of creating a cannabis regimen that could help them. My whole goal is to use minimal amount of med medication to receive maximum relief. So I never want patients um, overusing or abusing the product and it's expensive. Remember everything that you're doing in this industry is a cash industry. So there is no um, insurance accepted in the dispensaries. You're paying out of pocket so I want to make sure that they're getting maximum relief with using as minimal amount of product to have a positive experience with the plant. But my, my definitive factual, <laughs> you know, kind of experience and education and belief in its property, the cannabis plant stems from my own experience and in my journey as a professional, seeing how it has helped so many people. So yes, when I first started, all I could go on was my personal experience. But now that I have built an amazing clientele, I have the testimonies, I have support groups, I have so many other professionals that help teach me about things that have been going on on the West Coast. The West Coast Cannabis Program started in the 80s. 
They've had 40 years of experience with cannabis. Mm -hmm. So culturally on the East Coast, we are just really catching up to things that have been ongoing for years. And we're just becoming more accepting of the conversation instead of stigmatizing patients who use. So there's a lot of things been happening in terms of the growth of the medical marijuana program in Florida. Uh, Number one, we're closing in on a, on a million patients having a medical marijuana card active to be able to go ahead and have cannabis dispensed to them. Well, the fact that we've already had, no, we're waiting to go and see when adult use might become another about initiative. We know the signatures are trying to be pushed across again to get another petition so that the 2024 about will include a chance for Floridians to go ahead and pass. But until then, what we've had is extra time for the medical program to really take shape. We obviously delay the land of which companies are running and whatnot without the recreational dispensaries yet in place. I always thought the fact was that for anybody to go and adopt cannabis in the first place, to be able to go through the medical side of the program first before they go ahead and go recreationally on their own, you want to have that set up first so that people get a responsible way of consuming. And then they move themselves into, if they want to have it where they have an understanding and they've been under the program, they can go ahead and purchase what they want and they'll have a good understanding of it. But what do you think about the fact of with the patients you work with that if that's something that can continue to be the path or the journey for people to go ahead and accept cannabis as a treatment? Good question, because a lot of states and and physicians and companies are fearful that once a medical program transitions to recreational estate, will they lose their patient clientele, right? Will you lose your business, your income? Um, There will always be a need for physicians and the patients who need them in order to help them understand how to microdose, how to ingest, what's the best time of day, what's the um, method of delivery that you should use. All of those teaching aspects can only come through your physician engagement because they're customizing what's best for you. It's not a general two puffs every six hours as needed for pain. I can't tell you that for every single person because what if you have um, asthma or COPD, maybe inhalation or flour is not the best delivery form for you. Maybe you should think about a tincture. Maybe you should think about an edible. What if you're managing with gastritis or stomach cancer? Edibles are not the best form of delivery. Maybe we should focus on something that is, you know, going to be absorbed in a different route so that it doesn't affect your gastritis and make things worse. If you're dealing with just knee pain, why don't we consider adding on topicals directly to the knees so we can layer our treatment that way? But patients don't necessarily know that, you know, they think I can only do this or only do that, or I can only take it once. All of the methods of delivery are complementary to each other. Um, So you want to make sure that you're maximizing the benefits of, of being able to do that. And you understand that you can use throughout the day in different ways in order to help achieve relief. So there will always be a lane for physicians. Hopefully the language on the new proposals for recreational will include mandatory education. I don't know if that looks like a class. I don't know if that looks like a physician interaction one-on-one, but some type of mandatory education prior to purchasing. So that way you don't have patients with negative side effects because say they use cannabis with their blood thinners or with their hypertensive medication or with their diabetes medication. And, you know, you're having hypoglycemia and you're having elevated blood pressures and you're having, you know, metabolism issues with the blood thinners being less effective. 
the time of the day, the comprehensive medical history that you have, the current medications that you take, your lifestyle and job, you know, all of those things are important to understand prior to to using because there is still risk with it. It's still federally illegal. So you have to make sure that you understand all those ramifications before, you know, embarking on this journey. So that's the biggest part of our our education. So I think we're always going to have a lane for physicians um, and patients will have to decide what they need, you know, if they want to experiment on their own and take that risk, or if they want to do it in a fashion that's more controlled with the regulation and the, and the comfort of understanding, like I have somebody to reach back to, if I have a question, if I have a concern, you know, if I had a negative effect, because it is medication and all medications have side effects. We have this view of CBD and THC that it's, um, heals everything, right? Cause that's how the the media has really projected cannabis and, and CBD and THC, that it's all healing all well. But there are side effects. There's side effects of taking too much, like paranoia, like upset stomach, nausea, vomiting, palpitations, diaphoresis, and sweating. There's side effects to all of these medications. Understanding that you're dosing, the time of day that you're dosing, what you're consuming when you're dosing, if you're co-ingesting alcohol or other medications with it, there are side effects. So it's important to know your boundaries and your limits and how to medicate safely. Uh, Dr. Lynn, I want to ask you, there's a recent law that just came into play in the state of Florida. The Florida legislature passed House Bill 387, which is now expanding the use of telehealth for medical marijuana recertification. So for people that are, that the the existing requirement still stays in place that a physician must conduct an in-person physical exam of a patient before issuing an initial certification for medical marijuana use. And there's still a renewal process every 210 days or 30 weeks, but it can now be done by telehealth. So talk to me about what do you think about this, this change up right here so that it will be a much more streamlined process for those that are already on the medical marijuana program to stay on. And is that something that, you know, do you feel like you, it's something that we, you know, medical professionals or as licensed cannabis providers something that that you can embrace um thank you for that question that's a very important distinction it is for renewal patients so your initial visit um does require an in-person physical examination with uh your qualifying physician to get your card and then you renew every 210 days or every seven months so when you go to renew your card and your certification and um, your pers- your recommendation for cannabis, the change in the law with Hospital 387 is that you can do it through telehealth visit instead of having to go into the office and have a physical examination, which is amazing. We did this during COVID. So this is this telehealth option for renewal certification is not new. It was set in place during COVID under emergency order because cannabis dispensaries were um, deemed medically necessary to maintain um, and be open to allow patients to access their medicine. So with that being a medical necessary entity, patients had to renew their scripts and to minimize transmission of COVID and interaction, face-to-face interaction, they allowed for renewals to be done through telehealth. So we really stopped and paused on that when the world started to open back up in the last year. So all we're doing is taking what we did in COVID and we're reenacting it and making Mm -hmm. it now a moving forward, a legal 
implementation for the state and for patients to be able to renew via telehealth. Um, it's amazing. Honestly, the renewals are much less time than the initial certification. Right. It saves the patient the convenience of having to go to your physician. Many doctors post-COVID are continuing telehealth in actions and, and orders. So for us as physicians to be able to mimic that same model and help patients conveniently access the medication they need, we're going to have a better retention program and we're going to have more patients on a timely renewal as opposed to lag between your expirations. Um, every 210 days has to be renewed in order for you to access the medication at the dispensary. Right. If your certification is not renewed, you might still have milligrams there, but you can't access them. Right. So regardless, right. you you have to do that. And for oftentimes, patients will run to the dispensary just uh, you know just on a whim, like, hey, let me pick up something, and then they realize, oh my gosh, I need to recertify or I need to renew. So if they have to wait a week for an appointment with their physician and, you know, mm -hmm. try to schedule them, get them on the phone, all those inconveniences, it's a deterrent for patients and it can have them turn to their previous method of treatment, which right. may have been opiates, which may have been narcotics, which may have been benzos, which may have been black market cannabis. You know, if they were formally using any of those methods and cannabis help to wean them off or eliminate the, that use. Right. And now they're exclusively using medical cannabis by discouraging them and making it difficult for them to get to their physician to renew their certification. They are more likely to go back to that method, right? So we want to make it as easy as possible, as convenient as possible, because that's the way our world is. We want instant gratification. We don't want that lag time. So I think it's going to be Super great. I already know my patients are waiting for it. July 1st is supposed to be the start date for this process. Right. Yeah. So they're, they're anxious. They're ready. Yeah. July 1st is the official when the law goes into law. And it's just a matter of Governor DeSantis getting off the campaign show for just a minute just to sign it. But it'll be in <laughs> place. So that's great news. Now, let's talk about the fact that your practice actually is set up as that. And, you know, Dr. Lennon, we've had only a chance for just a short amount of time to talk. But you know, it's great to see someone like you here because I can already tell, like, if, if I was in a good consultation with you, you definitely have the bedside manner, the compassionate caregiver vibe. That's what I get from you. And we need more people like you into this space. And it's really great to have you show such a, as a great example, a role model as a standard for everybody else to be out there that, you know, it's the level of, of quality care, the level of expertise and education from people like Dr. Lynn that really makes something special, this medical marijuana program in Florida. And let's talk about your website, Ask Dr. Lynn, askdrlyn.com. And so that's where people can go to go ahead and get into the process. So take a minute for those that want to go into the website and learn what they need to do to be able to go and contact you or your team to be able to get themselves in the state of Florida a medical marijuana card or to be able to get work with you on being able to get prescribed cannabis with their car. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that compliment, Prosco. I'm passionate Thank about you. my work and, and I appreciate you you seeing that and being able to share that with the audience. Thank you. Um, so yes, website is www.askdrlyn.com. Um, same for all my social media handles. Everything is universal at askdrlyn. 
um, A-S-K-D-O-C-T-O-R-L-Y-N. You can also call the office at 305-487-0902 to schedule an appointment. Um, really, when you go onto the website, everything is self-explanatory. You're going to click Get Started Now. You're going to take it to eVisit, which is a third-party HIPAA-regulated site um, that allows you to fill out your electronic patient medical record. I don't do anything on paper, so everything is electronic. So you, you got to be a little savvy. Um, if you don't know how to navigate it, call our office. We'll walk you through the steps. Or if you have a family member that can help you navigate it, it's super straightforward. Set up a free account, enter your patient information, past medical history, allergies, current medications, the medical reason why you want to use cannabis, cannabis, and it asks you a few questions about your experience and relationship with cannabis. From there, that will be in place to do your telehealth visit with me for your renewals. And we'll do a face-to-face -face visit. We'll go through everything that we've discussed on the electronic patient medical chart. We'll talk about our intention and our goals for treatment. And then we'll be able to customize a regimen that's going to work for you. So everybody has something different. Uh, for some patients, they benefit better from flour. For some patients, it's better for them to do um, tinctures or suppositories. So I kind of go through all the methods and teach you about the delivery methods. Um, that's really the majority of the conversation is the education about it. Once we finish that and we deem that you're able to be qualified, it's a same day approval process for Florida residents. So I really try to get everyone approved within 24 hours of their visit with me. The state fee for the card is $75 to maintain it for one year. You can also have a caregiver if you need to. Many of the dispensaries have amazing delivery services. Um, so they'll deliver your product to you. So you don't even have to go to the dispensary, but I always mandate, mandate for the first um, time that all the patients go into the dispensary because I want them to see, touch, smell, feel, talk to our amazing bud tenders and, you know, get one-on-one -on -one, uh, interaction to know this is where my product is coming from. This is the belief and the ethos of the company. And that way they can help choose where they want to get their options from. I tell patients, you're not married to one location. You can go to Cureleaf. You can go to Trueleaf. You can go to Move. You can have particular items at each location that work best for you and choose and pick. So that's a great thing about the registry. You enter the milligrams that are appropriate for the patient and they're available at any of the 500 plus dispensaries in the state of Florida. So you don't have to feel obligated to one dispensary or the other, but the most important thing is using minimal amount of product because it is, you know, cash out of pocket. It is an expensive investment in your health. You know, $75 annually to maintain the card, monthly fee for, for the product that you decide to purchase, which can run patients anywhere from 100 to 150, depending on how often and frequent that you use. The initial fee for our visit for new patients is $249 and renewal fee is $149. So we renew on a seventh month cycle as needed. So I try to tell patients, please, please, please stock up on product towards the end of your certification. So that way it can carry you a few extra months and you don't have to renew at the actual 210 day mark, but right. you can bridge for a little bit of time. Cause if you don't, then you're forced to renew in order to access those milligrams. But it's been a beautiful journey. Hopefully patients are, are able to learn a lot and teach others cause the product and the process will continue to grow. The more patients we have, the more dispensaries we'll be able to get, the more licenses will be distributed. So it is, you know, a graded process. So we have to invest as a state and show that we want this 
and support it. And with almost over 900,000 patients qualified in the state of Florida in six years, we're definitely demanding that we need access to this plant. So I'm proud of us and I'm proud to be working in this industry, especially in Florida that's had so much progress in the last five, six years. Agreed. So thank you, Dr. Lin, for being on with us. So I really appreciate you taking time out to go ahead and speak to us all about this. And I hope we get more people to go ahead and get into the medical marijuana program and hopefully go by through your website, especially if you're within the area of South Florida, you can make your way and connect with Dr. Lynn Lasseter. Make sure to do so. Ask drlyn.com. And again, been been graciously uh, happy to go and have on licensed integrative medical cannabis and emergency medicine physician, Dr. Sophia Lynn Lasseter. Thank you for being on with us and let's definitely keep in touch. Thank you, Brasco. Look forward to talking more. I'll keep you up to date. I appreciate you this opportunity. And thank you listeners for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. Want to get smarter about investing? Then tune in to the Capital Ideas podcast from Capital Group, home of American Funds Distributors, Inc., one of the world's leading asset managers. Each week, we bring you stock market outlooks, macroeconomic updates, and investment strategies that can help you succeed. Learn from portfolio managers with decades of experience about how they navigate uncertain markets. Prepare to be engaged, enlightened, and entertained by listening to the Capital Ideas podcast today. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.